Greetings and salutations to our fine podcast audience. Nathan, Ed, how's everybody? I'm good. You're here. We are. You're with us. I'm, I'm Nathan, Nathan is on, uh, we're on uh, number two of our shooting podcast today, and he's still voice, still okay? I made it. I made it. Yeah, you're I'm drinking right? water. Drinking on this some one. water. Yeah. You got it? A little better. Yeah. You're, you're, honestly, I, I haven't noticed the croakiness in your voice well, during this there session. You go. There you go. You're I'm doing glad. all right for me. But. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you guys uh, will, I thought Jason was going to start this one by saying, uh, welcome to For the Birds, but he didn't say that. Thank goodness. Because we, we haven't settled on the name yet. Okay. In, oh. the, in the last 15 minutes. But I hope. Yes. We're hoping somebody sent something yeah, in. Yeah, send us some good, get good names, not pun names. We're on episode 82 now, so we should 73. Have, 73. We should have. <laughs> we we were, it's just making up We numbers. have finished <laughs> 72. We, we've finished 72. So far, we are starting our 73. This is 73 or four. You know, I was thinking the other day, and this what is, is the 73rd anniversary? I don't know. 73rd I, anniversary of what? No, like the 50th anniversary is like Gosh, the silver, nobody, and then 73rd is and nobody's making it to that anymore. Yeah. I guess that's people true. are now giving gold out for you. Oh, it's your second anniversary. True. I will say this, and I had thought of this because you know we got we got a ways to go, but it's coming soon. We will reach the 100th episode. We should do something special. We should. Get a name. It's going to take us we'll 25 weeks to get a name. <laughs> Maybe we should get a pet bird. Uh, well, put him right here on right the table with us or something. I don't know enough bird types to know. I know the Hawks, and, the Atlanta Hawks. And we are doing we well are right still now. playing. Let's hope they're still going, playing. Going up against now. the 76ers, we hope right now. We hope right now. Yep. Yeah. So. All right. So I have a headline. And uh, this one, not as weird as some of the ones that I have uh, brought to your attention. Mm, you say but, that now. Well, I, you know, maybe. But I do find it interesting. This one is a, a lottery-related. It, it seems that a lot of these weird headlines are around the lottery. It's like crazy stuff happens with people's lottery tickets. Okay. The lottery by itself is kind of a crazy thing. Well, that that's a whole other topic we could talk yeah, about sometime. Crazy but crazy thing. We'll do that one other day. But here's here's the headline. I just thought maybe this. this I've never played a scratch off. I just thought I'd. Say you never have. I have. Uh, I did. People when I give me 18. some. Never. I, I had a, yeah. several people I give me some. I bought lottery tickets, but I've just never played a scratch off. Someone gave me one. I, I won. I think fifty bucks. Oh yeah, you told us that story. I, I remember that. that I think probably I won. the last time we had a lottery I think I won headline. Like, yeah. So anyway, this one I thought was a little bit interesting to me amazing to me that the people actually did this i think this is a this is a good story all right woman gets back a million dollar lottery ticket that she accidentally tossed and here's the story this is probably the more amazing part the headline's not amazing this is the more amazing part so this lady she buys this one of these scratch off like you just said it's it's a scratch off ticket that apparently you can win a ton of money on. I think it's one of those that you pay like 30 bucks for. Mm. Okay? Okay. So she was in a hurry, she says. She scratched it off real quick, looked at it. It didn't look like a winner. She threw it away right there in the store where she mm. bought it from. Okay? So one evening, uh, the owner of the store, he's going through the trash. He finds this, this ticket, and he realizes it hadn't completely been scratched off. So he scratches it off. It's a million-dollar winner. All right? Here's the most amazing part. The lady who threw it away is a regular customer. He knew her. He had seen her throw it away. He assumes it was hers, which it was. It was one of the only ones in there at the time. And so he calls her up and meets her and gives her the ticket. Wow. Wow. I don't think I would have. I don't know. Would, it, would you have done that? What, given the lottery ticket? Would you just, you're holding a million if, dollars. If it was someone, this was a person who worked at the store. 
the person who found it works at the store. They knew the person because they're a regular customer. I they think, went and found I think I probably would have to because I would see that person again. Mm. Especially if it was a million dollars. It's a million bucks. Maybe I'd still work at the gas station. I don't know. But I mean... If I suddenly quit and I'm got a million dollars, I would feel I would feel I would feel bad. So I would tough. hope I'd do it regardless of who Me it was too. if I could. But certainly I think I would I would there would be enough societal pressure if I knew who the person was. Yep. I remember when I worked at uh, Brewster's, there was a guy who got tipped uh, with an a hundred well, he didn't get tipped a hundred dollars. They paid for a four dollar ice cream cone with an hundred dollar bill and said keep the change. Oh wow. wow! He thought it was a ten dollar bill when wow. he gave it. Still a really big tip. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah, a five dollar yeah. tip off the thing. But um, the guy somehow we had the guy's phone number. I can't huh. remember the end. Of, we somehow because he oh no no he he chased him out. He uh, chased him out and and found the guy. Got him to come back, and the dude was so thankful. What you would get? He's like, uh-huh. "Oh man, you're such a good guy." He was going on and on about, "Man, I want my daughters to meet you. My daughters need to meet." Uh, and I was like, "Man, that's a that's a really big tip. Yeah, that's, Suddenly, yeah. you're getting that's a girlfriend out of this thing." I just thought that was a bizarre. I don't know that you you ain't met the daughter. Well, that, I guess that's true. <laughs> I, mean, I guess daughter. that's true. But yeah, <laughs> I just thought I, I'm just saying that my, guy kept saying, not. "I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna give you an even better tip." And then I don't think that he guy never ever did. came no, back, yeah, nor yeah. brought his daughters. He was a liar. He now, didn't have no daughters. Now, here's the thing. Did he actually tip based on the 10 that he was going to give him? Or I don't he? remember that part okay. of the story. Okay. This was he just years walked ago. away with been, the $100 like, and yes. did not even pay for the ice cream. Yes. <laughs> I'll bring my daughter back later. <laughs> it was a scam. I give you $100 for a $4 ice cream, mm. tell you to keep the change. You run out with $100, I drive off with the ice cream. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it's, been, it's been 15 years since that happened, so I can't huh. remember all of that, but... Now, the last part of the story that I have to throw in there. That's what we could name it, Ice Cream Chronicles. That's I, an- <laughs> I could have a different story from the ice cream <laughs> shop work. every week. Yeah. So I could eat ice cream. I'd say maybe just bring ice cream. It does say here that uh, the family or the lady gave the family who owns the store an additional reward. It doesn't say how much, but she did give them some type of I would reward think. for that. Yeah, I was, I was, I would that was the part I was like, come on now. You had to give to, them some of that. Dollars. You got a million. You would think. You got to help these folks out. So she a did. five dollar so. tip. <laughs> <laughs> and she brought her daughters back to me. <laughs> I want you to meet I my daughter. Meet my daughter. Meet yes. my daughter. Okay. So, all right. Today, instead of questions, which we still take questions, if in case you didn't know, we are taking questions all the time. Oh, something different's happening. Link today. is in the description. We need your questions. And next week, I already got one lined up that I can't wait for you guys to hear. But keep sending us questions. But today. But today. We're going to do something a little bit different. Last Sunday was Father's Day. Yep. Yep. And we actually did something different in the service that we have not done before that I recall. The three of us guys, the teaching team here at Community Christian, decided we would address fathers from our different perspectives in life. Mm -hmm. Because we're all three, interestingly enough, in different stages of parenting, fatherhood. Nathan being in the stage of he's raising some little kids. Yep. Oldest kid is nine years old. Nine years old. So youngest is? Nine to four. Nine to four. So you're right there in that elementary stage. I am raising two teenagers these days. One who's graduated. Just graduated. A young adult going to college. Yes, and my youngest enters high school this coming fall, so she just wrapped up middle school. And Ed having all adult children. That's right. So uh, that's three different stages of parenting, and we thought, you know, from dad as dads, wouldn't it be interesting to hear what our thoughts are? Maybe. I don't know. Stuff we've learned. I guess you could tell us whether it was interesting or not. Yes, you can tell us. (laughs) 
But the truth is, doing it that way, we are only able to just speak for about, what, 10 minutes a piece on that. And less we're only, that. yeah, even less than that. So I, I felt like when I was presenting my stuff, oh, there's so much more that I could say. And I thought, well, you know, we got a podcast, we got some time. Why don't we just talk a little more in depth about that? Um, some of the stuff maybe we didn't get to go into detail about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, might be an interesting conversation. We'll find out. And if it's not, you know, I'll just cut us off. So. Yeah, exactly. We'll just <laughs> do a go. different podcast. So, yeah. So, uh, I guess just sort of summarize the, the point you, you brought out in your uh, stage of fatherhood, and maybe we can bounce off of each other um, some extra content on that. So, sure. uh, we'll start at the beginning. Nathan? Me? Your main deal in parenting young children? Sure. Uh, main deal was just... Uh, to be an active participant as dads, to be an active role in the home. Mm. Um, you know, when I was thinking about how to kind of frame the whole thing, I started really thinking in terms of what are the things that, one, I know are a big challenge for me, and I see with other guys my age it tend to be a big challenge, which is, one, to be physically present there a lot. Wow. There's a big there's a big pull into work. I think work by its nature Um, is instant gratification for guys. Maybe Mm. not depending on what your job is, but by the most part, someone clearly tells you what the rules are. You can tell yourself, you can know whether you think your boss is encouraging you enough or not. You at least know, I did a good job, I didn't. You come home, the rules ain't clear. Mm. You're not always sure you're doing a good job, and there doesn't seem as much of a reward there. But if you are getting yourself physically present, then the other part is to be emotionally and relationally present, not zoning out. Um, and the, the way I kind of wrapped it up was Deuteronomy 6, where uh, the first time we read the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, Moses, who's giving the command to the people from God, is says that you should bind these on your hands and talk about them when you get up in the morning when you walk along the road. And really the point of this is everywhere you go, you need to be instructing your children and building into them and encouraging them this love of God. And you can really only do that in a relational way. So we have to be people who have relationships with our kids um, and in all different aspects. And when they're young, a lot of that, and this is the hard part is your relationship is this, uh, uh, the way I think I say it in, in my segment is that uh, you're not a friend, you're a substitute frontal lobe. That <laughs> they can't always make the decisions they need to make, and so you've got to put boundaries, consequences, rewards mm. around that. So it is the more discipline-heavy. That doesn't mean punishment-heavy. Yeah. It means instructing, guiding with consequence and reward when they can't make the right decisions. And the thought I had as you, you were saying that is, because um, I, 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 I know this is not what you mean, um, we have this phenomenon going on in our world these days where we hear the term helicopter parent a lot. Oh, right. And people will, some, some that is a negative, but a lot of people see that as that's my role. And mm. I don't think that is, when you talk about mm. being super involved in your kid's life, I know what you don't mean to be the negative connotation of that, sure. right? So explain that a little bit. Well, I think the, the difference is, and obviously you guys are on the other side of this, mm-hmm. but I, at least I see in, in my role of... <laughs> What your frontal lobe does is it's the thing that initiates 
correct behavior. It encourages, it holds it accountable. It's the thing that allows you to, it reminds you the last time you did that, Mm -hmm. you got hurt. You shouldn't do that again. I once heard somebody say it helps you see around corners. Right. You can see things that aren't obvious at the moment because you can extrapolate. Here's what will happen if I do this. And I know, Jason, you can probably, maybe, I don't want to put him on the spot, but I know he knows much more, at least than I do, about... Uh, the way our brains are developed, that yeah. frontal lobe doesn't really fully develop to what, like 25? 25 is the average. Right. So if you got a four-year-old, they're really far away from yes, that. Yes, they are. So they don't, and I think this happens a lot. When you ask your kids, and I heard this on a parenting podcast I listened to, when you ask your kids, why did you do that? And they answer, I don't, I know. don't know. And I, as the parent, always go, I don't know is not an answer. It is their it is. answer. That's right. They don't know. They looked at a thing and thought, let's try that. And mm-hmm. even though they've done it a hundred times. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean. And what often happens in helicopter parenting, once again, not to be too judgmental, is that's right. we often, what we think being the frontal lobe is, I will never let you ever make any decision on your own and I'll make it for or you. I won't let you have consequences. I have sure. seen way mm-hmm. more in my lifetime of people that... I may not have the right definition, but right. helicopter parenting, from my viewpoint, is I swoop in at the last minute to save you from consequences of decisions you shouldn't have made. Right. Mm-hmm. I, my, I always, and you know this, I, I, I always tried to let the consequences happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, I try, when you're really young, I didn't want to put you in a place where any consequences could really go too bad. You sure. Know, that's oh, right. yes. yeah. There's limits. I, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't letting you drive a car at 16 and say, "Well, let's see what happens." Yeah. They'll learn from the consequences, mm-hmm. you know. But I, even then, I didn't want the con. I didn't want to save you from your consequences because consequences are the natural teacher. They yes, are, they are what teach you. Yes. Well, and they are what teach you. I know that for a lot of parents, too, there are consequences, and this is what I mean by being a substitute frontal lobe: is you have to impose consequences sometimes that aren't natural right because they won't just happen so you may have to say i told you not to eat that cookie so now you don't get to have any treat the next two days well that's not a natural consequence you know you're making up that consequence but what you know is if they live a life where they get to take whatever they want Mm -hmm. even though they know they're not allowed to you know that does cause problems down there so you're imposing a consequence and the problem that I, and I feel this because I'm there, is when that kid looks at you and they're upset or they're mad or they say those words every parent's heard, I hate you, mm. you're so mean, yep. you don't love me, over a cookie, as mm-hmm. happened, yeah. right? You have to go, I, ultimately what I want is relationship, but not with a four-year-old, with an 18-year-old, with a 20-year-old, with mm-hmm. a 20, 25-year-old who can make those decisions in a way. But I don't want to, I don't, I mean, I will because they're my kids. I don't want to have a relationship with a 25-year-old who never learned not to take things that they weren't supposed to take. Yes. That's not a relationship. Or who I- their whole re- relationship with me, because we deal with this on the counseling side of our job, of their only relationship with the parent is still rescuing them. Yeah. Sure. They're 40 years old. Mm-hmm. They're turning to their 70-year-old mother to rescue them for some consequences mm. again. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's the only relationship they really have with the parent. Yeah. And so to answer the question kind of succinctly, when you say the difference between helicopter parenting, and I think I think you said it very well, is it is the difference. You know, when you think of a helicopter is I am rescuing you from things, right? Because, I mean, that's why you're life flighting in. That's why you have Coast Guard helicopter. I'm coming in to rescue you from things. I'm not coming in to rescue you from mis- 
from consequences that are beyond bear. Certainly, if I've told my kid not to run into the street right. and there's a car bar- barreling down, I don't go, well, the natural consequence right. is you get hit by a car. But when it's a consequence that I know won't harm them. That they can stand. Yes, it yeah. won't do long-term harm to them. It's not going to do long-term harm that my five-year-old goes to bed without a cookie. That mm-hmm. does not do long-term. It doesn't do long-term harm that they go to bed thinking mommy's mean. It doesn't do long-term harm that they fail a test or yes. they fail a grade. Yes. yes, that isn't long. And I know it feels like it because the, and this goes more to yours, so I yeah. don't want to jump too much. That's all right. But certainly once you get to the teenage years, it feels like if they have to redo the seventh grade, mm. that's going to be the worst thing that could ever happen to them. I promise you yeah. it's not, and you know it's not. Yeah. It might be the worst thing that happens to your reputation. Well, that's huge too. Yeah. So maybe we should segue this one because I, yeah, like, yeah. I feel like we've, Summed up. I think so. yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah. and but w- what you're saying, I, I, I come across that a lot. What you just described is this: we take one of those things, like a bad test or failing of a grade of, or something, as that's going to be catastrophic and follow them every every moment of every. And what I often tell parents, and I, and I have to talk to myself on this, is okay. Let look at where you are right now rewind and look at some of those things in your did you have some of those things happen in your life and where you sit right now is it really as big as what you think it is right now mm-hmm. does that make sense mm-hmm. i don't know if i explained that real well no, yeah. it makes sense to me someone someone said once to me it says you know if it it's not going to matter in five years then it doesn't matter and it, that phrase just sort of stuck with me and it's just a general principle to to try and put yourself in that because and my wife and I have to do this with ourselves sometimes when we get into a place where oh no this is going to be catastrophic but we I always say well, all right did we have the exact same thing happen to us or something similar happened to us when we were teenagers and if we have a hard time even remembering that then we've probably blown that thing up way too big yeah and so let's let's back off for just a moment and maybe it will be okay if we let our daughter like you said, fail a test or not turn in a project on time or something like that because that little natural consequence that she's going to feel in that moment is going to be the teacher rather than me swooping in and and all that kind of stuff. So that that – what you're saying, I just wanted to piggyback on that and say you're definitely on to something right there. Um, So for me, um, my – my part in this whole thing, I, I really wanted to focus in on, you talk about being a substitute frontal lobe. Um, you're still doing that in the teenage years, but you're doing it in a different way. You're, you're helping, you're trying to help them wake the thing up, in, yeah. in my opinion. And, and I don't know if I said this on Sunday or not, but one of your main um, roles as a parent of a teenager, I believe, is asking questions. I've, I've spent a lot of time not enough, but a lot of time asking my daughters questions about decisions that I'm seeing them make or decisions that they're thinking about making. And I'm the one that just, I'm trying to speak the language of what that frontal lobe normally does is, hey, is you you really think that's a wise thing to right. do? Rather than Remember making... the last time you yeah, did that? Or yeah. rather than making the decision for them, I, one of my daughters just recently comes to me, she's been given an opportunity to go do something with a friend. It also conflicts with something that our family has planned this summer. Mm. And so she said, Dad, can I go do this thing? And my first gut was no, because you've got a family obligation and you should you should place your family ahead of this friend thing. But I pulled back and I said, 
I'm going to give you a couple of days to think about that. Now, here's what I want you to think about in that time frame. Here's what you've committed to, and here's what your friend's asking you to do, and what do you think is more important? And after it was over, my wife was like, what if she comes back and gives us the wrong answer? I said, well, we'll deal with that when it comes. But I said, what if she comes back and gives us the right answer? Right. Um, what we've helped her do is just because she kind of knows. I, I think she already knew before she came to me. Mm-hmm. But it was that I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this that is in every young person. It's in all of us, but it it's is. especially heightened in a young person and that they just want to go there. So I'm trying to help her come to that rational, uh, others-centered answer that I want her to have as an adult. And if she does get there, well, then maybe the next time mm-hmm. she'll begin to think others-centered before me-centered, which is what we all want for our kids in the first place. So that was that was just an example of something that I, I think I mentioned on Sunday. And then the other thing was um, it, it it's giving – giving my kids opportunities to see themselves succeed at life. Mm. And I think back to what you said, Nathan, a lot of us as parents, we want so bad for our kids to succeed, but what we're doing is succeeding for them. And if we do that long enough, they get the sense that they either can't or that it's just not in them or they don't have the knowledge to succeed. And so they, like you said, Ed, begin to rely on somebody to come in and swoop in and and rescue them. I'm doing everything I can, even at the risk of failure, to put my kids in a position to see themselves do something hard, do something they would tell me they don't think they can do, something that's even scary, and then walk away from it, even if they don't do it as well as I would have, that they come away and they go, okay, I did it. It's okay. Yeah. I didn't die. You know, uh, or or I even failed, but now I know failed. how to get yeah. myself out of this mess. Because that often, at yep. least with the teenagers I've worked with, that's the 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 fear of not succeeding is the fear mm-hmm. that I'll fail and I'll get myself in a position I can't get myself out of. Yep. And by not having mom and dad come rescue me, yep. and I have to learn to get myself out of this. Because we we often see success as I did it right the first time, and that's what we want for our kids. Mm-hmm. But it's okay for them to learn. I did fail this class. I had to retake the class <laughs> or I had to read, you know what I mean? Or yeah. I get myself in this bad because I make the wrong choice with my family obligation, mm-hmm. but I find a way to fix it. Yep. Like you said, that's a huge, that's a huge thing for parents to be able to. I have, I have intentionally not. I, most teachers of my kids probably think that I'm pretty absent <laughs> because mm. I, my kid comes home with an issue with a teacher or an assignment or something going on at school. I never contact the teacher. Right. I, I'm, they're teenagers. They have brains. They can speak for themselves. And so I always say, have you talked to the teacher about that? And way more than when any of us were in school, they have contact with their teachers through email. And oh, absolutely. That we didn't have. Yeah. I mean, simple, easy ways to do it that and, are natural to them. And my and, wife's a teacher, and how many times she's told me that I'm getting this email 
from this kid's email address, ain't no way this kid wrote right, this email. Right. It, they'll go on and write write it for them and craft the the argument for them. And and she's like, I can tell when the, it's the kid advocating for themselves or it's well, everybody knows in. what a sixteen year old sounds like versus a forty year old. Absolutely. Well, and I think that goes to the thing, and I know you mentioned it in your segment of the balance of influence and control and where you have to put those things mm-hmm. that I have observed. And I know we all have of at the stage of parenting I'm at, there's this feeling of, I don't want to control. I want to influence. I want to have a conversation with my four-year-old about Mm -hmm. why they tried to take the cookie instead of coming in and taking control. And then I get to a place of my teenagers there and I now no longer want to influence. I want to control. I want to come in because you're blowing things up. This ain't a cookie anymore. This is a card or or this is a, you're going to get pregnant or you're going to never Mm -hmm. go to college or you're never going to be able to hold a job or you're about to go to prison. And I think one of the, and I feel it certainly in mine, I'm sure you feel it in your stage. It's almost, it's the exact reverse. When, when my wife and I are out in public and we take, to a lot of people, might be considered severe control over hmm. our kids. We're yeah. going to put some, these consequences. Nope, I know we're out in public. You don't get to be a part of that anymore That's because right. you've behaved not the way people that we People are see. like, oh, don't yeah. do that. Then I don't get away yeah. with it. Right, and we're taking control. There's this feeling as a parent that goes, well, I don't want people to think that I'm... Because then they may take it to the extreme and think maybe I'm a controlling abusive. parent who's too... <laughs> yeah, or abusive or I'm doing yeah. this. And then there's the other side, what you just said of, mm-hmm. if, I, if I'm if i not controlling when they're a teenager, if I'm not advocating for my kid yep. in the classroom, they'll think I'm an absent parent and I don't care about my kids. Yep. And that you... I And this is just a thing I think probably in all stages of parenting, the, the biggest part the parenting has done for me is Jesus teaching about dying to yourself i have to get to a place where my reputation my opinions now it doesn't mean what god commands i don't mean that but my opinions and expectations of what you should do for your career and the person you Mm -hmm. should and what your personality should be like not how you should behave and treat people i don't Mm -hmm. mean that but i mean those kind of ideas they have to die and i have to become a student of my child and say what is it that they need to ultimately honor God and honor people. What do they need from me? And it yep. does look different in both stages yep. or all three stages. One of the conversations that I'm having most often right now with my graduated senior is um, when something comes up in her life that she has to take care of, and I know it's coming, I'll, I will step in, have a conversation with her, and I'll say, you know, we talk it through, and I say, if you need me to help you handle this situation, whether it be a college app, you know, situation or a conversation or just you know, a financial decision. I say, if you need my assistance on this, you know where to find me, but you are going to take care of this and this is on you. I'm, I'm here. You can ask questions. Mm-hmm. You can come to me. I'm not doing it for you, but I will be a resource to you. Um, and, and then sitting back and standing in the background and watching that happen that's that's pretty much my sole role in her life right now and um but but the reason that I was able to do that and have that um, dynamic with her is due to what I said on Sunday relationship which gets us to the final stage of parenting which is where you're at, Ed. So talk to us a little bit about that relational piece. You know, I want to say something about something you said as well. You said you wanted to give them chances to succeed mm-hmm. at the teenage age. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I was really serious about, and a lot of a lot of our contemporaries thought we were wrong. I'm assuming it's still the same. Mm. 
I wanted my kids to get a job as soon as they could, not because I wanted them to have money and that, but you know, when you get involved in school at six years old, by the time you're in eighth or ninth grade, you figured out the system. Yeah. And you know how to play the game, you know how to succeed, but it's a succeeding at school is not in any way really correspond to succeeding in life. True. It's an artificial environment. Succeeding at a sport is a great thing, teaches some things if it's a team sport, but it's not the same as succeeding in life. Mm. I wanted them to go work for somebody mm -hmm. that had to make a profit, really cared about what they were doing, mm -hmm. and they could get the esteem of, hey, there's another adult beside my parent and beside a teacher yeah. who has limited ability, I've learned over eight or nine, ten years of being in school, a limited kind of enforcement they can do on me. This person could fire me. Mm, this yeah. person could not pay me. Yeah. Now I succeed here. I have a skill that's going to last me. It's my first skill that will last me. Yeah. Well, and true. I remember going that's to true. your point about letting them succeed. I remember the very first job I ever had was working at an ice cream shop. And the very first day was the first thing I'd ever really failed at. I was just, I was bad at it. I couldn't figure out anything from, because you have to scoop the ice cream in a certain way. You had to handle mm -hmm. everything. And it was silly because it was ice cream. But I remember coming home and I was Fresh. I was mad. I was crying. I was, I was everything mm. I could. I did not want to go back. And then my mom said, well, you made, you committed to doing this thing. You yep. got to go back. And then within a week or so I was, but I felt good about myself. Mm. I felt like, Oh, I did fail at this and now I'm succeeding. Well, and yeah. I had kids uh, do bad enough. They got fired. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, and yeah. they wouldn't be ashamed to tell you that either. And so yeah. they learned, yeah. Oh, there's <laughs> some things you think don't really matter, and somebody told you it mattered, yeah. you, you can't do that. Yes. And Absolutely. even if they like you and they thought you did an overall job that was good, they're going to let you go because you did the thing they said don't do. Yep. yep. Absolutely. So I thought that that's what I, when, when you're talking about succeeding, I think that's a, I think it's a skill. When people say to their kids, school is your job, school's a lot of things. It ain't a job. That's right. It ain't the same as, as going out and working for somebody where they care about making a profit and you got to help them do it. Mm -hmm. It ain't the same thing. Incidentally, my 14-year-old is headed to her first day of her first job today. Good oh, for her. Oh, there you yep. go. Way to go, Ava. That's right. All right. So then the last part I talked about is uh, parenting adult kids. And, you know, it was interesting to me as we talked about this, and we didn't really coordinate on this, but it, it's all about control. It's still control. And it hit me as you all were talking. It is why parenting and has been such a key spiritual growth thing for me. Uh, all of us like to control. Mm. We like to control our environment. We are constantly trying to figure out how I control the other people in my world. And uh, parents struggle with giving up control over these people that they uh, parent, yep. including once they become full-grown adults. And it is the constant battle still of how do I continue to be engaged in their life? I want to have a relationship. These people really matter to me. But if you regularly are trying to control 25, 30, 40, 50-year-olds, <laughs> you're not going to have much influence. They may tolerate it if you have certain kind of levers you can put over them. And you'll lose relationship. You by will doing lose it. relationship. Now, what you don't mean by that, and I know this is, I know this is true, is by losing relationship, you don't mean they won't come around. Oh, they'll come oh. around, but you'll be able to tell. They came around because they had to. Yes. yes. They came around after out of obligation. 
And I don't know anybody that wants to be somebody's obligation. Mm. Yes. When when you get to a place where you start saying, hey, you have to do this, you have to do this, Mm -hmm. you will always be a have to to them. And you you want to be a want to. Yeah, exactly. So I think the way I said it in the message is you want to get to the place where you can learn to keep your mouth shut (laughs) and keep so the door can remain open. Wow. And it's really tough because you're going to watch – all of your kids do things that you go, I wouldn't do that. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Oh, and do things that you directly told them not to do mm-hmm. that you think not only are unwise but out flat out wrong. But you watch that with your friends all the time. Sure. And the truth is with our friends and with our adult children, if they do not ask me, hey, do you think this is a bad idea? I need to have influence to steer them away from bad ideas. I cannot demand it. And influence only comes with a relationship. It doesn't come with control. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's a constant battle. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. I said, you know, it's really important that you you have your adult children to still love you because most likely they're the people that are going to take your car keys away and put you in a nursing home. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so yes. you don't want to piss them off too much. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have a running joke uh, in our house we're trying to figure out which of my two girls is going to be the one that takes care of us. <laughs> we think we figured it out, nah. but we haven't told either one of them. Yeah, I'm figuring <laughs> in our place it'll be somebody lost a lottery. They're <laughs> <laughs> going to draw the straws. <laughs> yeah. like, ah. Got to take care of that. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I think the one thing at all of our stages of parenting that has to become clear, and I, I think this one as a parent of kids, but also having done youth ministry for a long time and, 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 and having friends who are on the receiving end of the parenting of being adult children with kids is ultimately our, our highest priority has to be that Deuteronomy 6 mm-hmm. that we would impress upon our children. And impress doesn't mean force upon them, but it means through the way we live and the way that we show the importance of Christ and his church and the kingdom in our lives, that it becomes winsome to our kids, that they want that they also would love Jesus and his church, that our prayers would not just be, God, help them make this test great and help them get in the right college and even help them find the right spouse. There's nothing wrong with any of those. But ultimately, if I can get a kid to love Jesus and love his church and run after people, all those other decisions will get figured yes, out and yes. maybe not in the way I like them. Yep. Yep. But if that's their goal and that's their pursuit. Um, and so I just think we have to keep whatever I can do to help them at any stage. And uh, I, someone's my favorite. It's not just when your kids are young. If you're not dead, you're not done. That's one mm-hmm. of my, my, even if you've got adult kids and they're off track and they, and they didn't get it. Maybe they didn't get it from oh, you what? or they didn't pick it up from you. You still have a chance to. Influence. I know for sure you still love them. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I haven't met any parents, no matter how old their kids are, that aren't still concerned for them, don't want the best for them. We just don't always know how to go yeah. about doing it. Mm. And uh, at our st- at the stage I'm at, it really is. It's a lot of cooperation with God and prayer and mm-hmm. trying to have as much influence as you can. And you may have blown that honestly yeah, when right. you were young. You may have blown it. Mm. You might not have as much influence as you'd like to have. So you have to just pray God brings somebody that's really good influence into their life. Mm. And have a lot of patience. And have a lot of patience. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if we brought up more questions (laughs) than we answered, hey, 
we could continue this conversation later. Send us a question specifically you want us to, to address. Description is still in the, uh, or the link is still in the description, and uh, we'll talk about this later. But uh, hopefully that gives you a little bit more context to what we talked about Sunday. And uh, so next week we'll come back. We will have more of your questions, and we will address those. Until then, see you guys. Bye. See you.